4. Philippians 4, verses 15 through 23. This will be the last sermon from Philippians. Philippians chapter, well, for the time being. Maybe not the very final last, never ever again, but for now. (laughs) Could be. I used to think, boy, you know, whenever you preach a text and hear a text, that old song, We May Never Pass This Way Again, it is critical. Boy, you better love your your Bible and your texts. And we don't know. Uh, so this is it for Philippians, uh, for for this sermon series. Philippians four, and it's verses fifteen through twenty three. And God's word says this. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Please be seated. And let's pray. Lord, this is a very important message, an important text. We need your Holy Spirit's help to listen and affirm, to be convicted. Lord, we need your help. Things could go wrong in a sermon such as this. By your Holy Spirit's help, we pray that they will not. Help us now. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The backdrop for every sermon, the backdrop for every time any of us Christians or non-Christians opens our Bible to read it, the backdrop has always got to be the gospel. Jesus Christ, God sending Jesus to redeem his people from their sins. Jesus as our only way of salvation. That's the backdrop every time. There's a reason why uh, when I was in seminary, and, and I hope they do this now, boy, they would grade us on things like eye contact, and we'd have, you know, the question was always, how can they grade you on eye contact if they're looking at their paper <laughs> and you can't make eye contact with them because they're looking down, grading your sermon. But uh, eye contact and those things. But the one thing that had to be there, failing grade, rightfully so on that sermon, if there was no Christological connection to the text. Jesus Christ and him crucified, Jesus Christ proclaimed. That is the background of every sermon that's the background of this service. 
But when you get to various texts and you preach through them, there is, uh, uh, there is something that that particular text has for that particular congregation at that point in time. And you could easily bury the lead and just give platitudes or cliches and say, well, at least I talked about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus. Boy, that's, 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 we can't do that and, and then head to the Lord's table. But I've got to tell you, this sermon and this text is a long time coming for me, and I owe you an apology to where it almost makes me want to cry this week when I looked at it. I owe you an apology. I've left out an important part of your spiritual growth over the years by tiptoeing around this, by being too afraid that somebody would say, well, all they talk about is money. Well, I'm going to be the guy that never talks about money. Um, I'm, you know, your younger life and you worry about offending people and you worry about who's here and I hope a whole lot of visitors don't come because they'll think, you know what? God's word is God's word. And I was thinking about the, um, what was her name? The, the Dowager Countess in, uh, in uh, Downton Abbey. The Dowager Countess, that, that lady. I forget the actress's name. Um, but they described her when that show was coming out. She had the, uh, the fiery wit, the reservoir of wisdom, and the endless supply of pithy zingers. Um, well, I don't want any of those things. That's for her. That's a character on a show. But what happens when you hit 60 is you say, wait a minute, have I been depriving people of the truth? When I was a young man, I hemmed and hawed around this. Didn't want to give offense. Made jokes and apologized and and all of those things. Uh, But here's what needs to be said, and I'll say what needs to be said. Because I love you and I care about your spiritual growth and your spiritual health and by neglecting something by being nice about it being very unnice just like you've heard people say the the worst form of child abuse is to just give your kids whatever they want whenever they want it and then turn them loose in the world and see what happens to them and no discipline Um, you gotta you gotta do this I'm happy to do this. So because I love you and care about your spiritual health, I'll say it right now. If you're not doing this already, you need to tithe to the Lord's work. You need to tithe based on your relationship with God through Christ Jesus. It's of great spiritual benefit to you to tithe. And it will spill over into other areas of your spiritual life when you tithe. Tithing is, can be, it's not the, but it can be the rising tide that will lift the other spiritual boats in your life. Now, when we taught this with the kids, and we went through the Sunday school, we're going through elements of worship, and, and, and they, they thought it was funny. I said, give your tithes and offerings, and I took my tie off and put it in the plate. <laughs> What's your, give your tithes and offerings? Well, I, I might not want those tithes anyway. What's a tithe? People don't even know what a tithe is sometimes. 
Sometimes there's a nuance of a, of a prayer. And I, I'll pray now and, and say, uh, it's time to give the Lord his tithes and our offerings. Tithe is a 10%. That's pretty easy. Uh, giving for dummies, uh, God gave to me. For people like me who aren't really math-minded, all I have to do is look and see what I've earned, move that decimal point over one to the left, and it's figured out. And there's no inflation. It's not 14% or 2% and all that. It's tithe. I'm going to say that it's biblical. I'm going to try and show you from Scripture. I'm going to show you from Scripture. I'm going to try and articulate and not me get in the way and show you. Uh, your spiritual health is good and will increase as you tithe. Let it be your habit. Is this biblical? Yes, it is. Well, look at the text. We're going to look at our text. Here's the outline for the sermon today. Um, The outline for those of us taking notes or listening or trying to just keep things in order. One is going to be giving to the Lord's work is a natural response to being a Christian. Two, giving to the Lord's work is of most benefit to the giver. Three, Giving to the Lord's work is an action that is extolled in all sections of Scripture. Four, some general practical applications for this text and topic. Five, a particular practical application for this text or topic, or what happens when you give God's tithe to Christ the Shepherd Church. And the final point, your spiritual credit score. So first... Giving to the Lord's work is a natural response to being a Christian. Verses 15 and 16, um, Paul is writing, and the whole letter is is to thank them for a gift they've sent, that's from the start, to address then some inner conflicts they were having in the church and and to just talk about the joy and rejoicing that's in Christ. So he's wrapping up his letter uh, about the gift that they had sent him. And he said, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. These were brand new Christians. These are people, remember the story when we went through Acts. Paul had the the prayer, the Macedonian call, come over here and help us. He goes over there with Silas, uh, with Barnabas. They... um, Meet those women that are meeting by the bank. Lydia is one of them. Uh, They have no synagogue. He takes their scriptures, which their scriptures are are our scriptures, Old Testament, and he talks about Jesus through that. They ask him to stay. Some of those ladies are converted. Then the next thing that happens, uh, they, they get put in jail, and there's a earthquake that rattles the chains and, and, and loosens the, the foundations and all the prisoners are able to walk free if they want but they've been singing and it's Paul and Silas actually Silas Barnabas have a, a, a brain freeze um, Paul and Silas in the prison it was Silas Paul and Silas and they had been praising God in their, in their imprisonment and when they had the opportunity to leave and that jailer would be put to death for that he comes and he sees that there is no prisoner escaped. 
All the people that he's responsible to the Roman government for are there. And he is in awe at this. And he says to these two Christians that have been sharing the gospel, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And, and this is the foundation for that church. They were new Christians. Paul then moves on with his, with his missionary band to the next places. And what's the immediate thing that this group of people who had been dead spiritually, who were now alive, what did they do? They said, we're going to support this missionary journey. We're going to give. It was natural to them. The intrinsic response to all of us when someone saves our life or the life of one we love, how can we thank you? I can't thank you enough, we say. How can I thank you? What if someone risks their life and saves your life? He just want to owe them something. You, you feel like it. They say, no, you would have done it for me. Uh, what if somebody dies while saving your life? What kind of way do you want to honor their legacy? Tell their kids when they grow up that this woman or this man was such a, a, a selfless person that say, there, there's a natural response that flows out that says, how can I say thanks for the things you've done for me? And this Philippian church said, we know one thing that just automatically has to happen. The way the economy works, Paul and his people need some money to be able to keep going. They've got to eat. They've got to have shelter. There are times in Paul's life where he didn't. He stopped. He had a skill. He was a tent maker. He made some tents. He did that. That's how God wanted to to fund that. Uh, Think of Jesus' ministry, even the funding that took place. There were a group of wealthy business women that followed around that had the funds, and the Bible talks about how they helped fund Jesus' earthly ministry. And these people automatically, as brand new Christians, funded. The intrinsic response was to give. That is a natural response to being a Christian. Now you say, I think I've got you, Pastor, because not everybody did that, did they? He said, uh, uh, you yourselves helped me. Uh, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So not every church did that. Say, okay, so that just cut the legs out from what, what you just said. And I say, no, it didn't. It didn't. You think it did, maybe, but it didn't. Just because their first natural response was to give and other people's first natural response wasn't to give, their first natural response were other things, uh, does not take away that one of the things that God works on people when they first get saved, one of the things that some Christians especially just pick up on right away is to financially give and support. Other people take longer. It's the same with every aspect of our Christian lives. Different areas where new Christians work and the Holy Spirit works first. Some Christians can say, I, I got saved and I immediately had this addiction to this substance and immediately because of Jesus I was able to put it right away. Another person says, that's not my story. My story is I kept struggling with it and, and God was working. We don't know why, but we know that 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 we can see as we progress, one of the things that God does when people are saved is he works on them, some immediately, some slowly, maybe some of us slowly, 
in loosening them up from the, 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 the fear they have of not having enough, of, uh, of holding on to their worldly things. And, and some people right away, and these Philippians right away, God gave them a perspective on possessions that is biblical and godly. It happens. Giving to the Lord's work is a natural response to being a Christian. I don't want anyone in here to say that if you struggle with giving to the Lord's work, you're probably not a Christian. That's a terrible thing. That's violating the Westminster Confession, and that's binding your conscience. But I'm saying part of where God has either brought you or is taking you is in relation to this thing called finances and and, and security and, and what that brings. Saying this, one trait that all Christians get to sooner or later is the realization that we are simply stewards of what God gives us. And we increasingly cheerfully give to the Lord's work. The question for some is the word tithe. And I've used to hear this. Well, tithe, that's the Old Testament. The New Testament, it's all about just being a cheerful giver. Uh, That's the argument. I got into a knockdown, drag out argument in seminary. And I took the... uh, I took the wishy-washy side. I, 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 I took the shepherding side. And one guy was like, it's got to be. You get out there and you say 10%, 10%. And I said, well, people are in debt. People are hurting. People, you know, maybe start them with 3% and make the goal 10%. And next year, 4, 5, 6, 7. And there's a shepherding and a progression. And maybe people do that. But you know what? The New Testament nowhere says, be a cheerful giver The tithe is not valid anymore. We're going to get to that in our text. Uh, In fact, if you looked at if you looked at uh, Second Corinthians eight and nine, Second Corinthians chapters eight and nine, and uh, especially nine verses six through twelve, it's all about giving. And Paul said to those Corinthians, "The point is this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly." Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Goes on to talk about how you'll be enriched in every way. Um, That in nowhere, that talks about the attitude of the heart, but nowhere does that say, uh, you decide if you want to give 1% or one one hundredth of 1%. You want to drop a penny in and just be cheerful about it. That's all that matters. It does not nullify the Old Testament. It does not. Nowhere does it nullify that. Jesus condemned the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They counted every little... They went to the herb garden, it said, and they counted out the little seeds. Here's 20 little dill seeds, so here's 
two little dill seeds, and they were persnickety about it, and they gave their 10%, the implication, they gave their 10% no more, and they felt good about it. But that doesn't nullify because they abused that and because they tried to use that as works righteousness. That does not nullify that 10% that the Old Testament talks about. So I'm saying tithe. My hunch is that the New Testament Christians used the 10% as their starting point, And then they thought about in their own mind what else to give. What generosity. They got into a little sinful contest, it seems like, in Acts. And Ananias and Sapphira uh, lied about what they gave, and they were trying to, to be showy with their gifts. Uh, but that doesn't say they didn't tithe. It doesn't say they didn't give, and that God didn't appreciate the gift and demand the gift. So Paul is making a case here in this church of the Philippians. That is part of the Christian life. Whether you're not there yet and you're getting there, whether that was one of the first things God was able to do, the tithe to the storehouse. To the storehouse. Bring all your tithes to the storehouse. We'll get that. Um, sometimes uh, you'll read people and they'll say, well, if you help your, your niece with her uh, college education, that's a, that's a tithe. That's giving because that's giving. Well, you know what? If I'm helping a niece with college education, I'm getting a little leverage on her for one thing. I'm not bringing my tithe to the storehouse. I'm not doing what they did in Acts and laying it at the elders' feet. It's good to help my niece with her education if I have the means and she has the need and she's a worthy recipient. Not a tithe. Okay? Think with me. Stay with me on this. Paul is saying, this happened. You Philippians, you knew right away you were giving to the Lord's work. Secondly, giving to the Lord's work is of most benefit to the giver. Verses 17 through 20. Not that I seek the gift, Paul said, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. It's your credit that I seek. He goes on to say in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The fruit that increases to your credit. Paul wanted them. Paul's delight in them. He saw them giving to the Lord's work. He saw this church coming together and giving. And he said, that makes me so happy. Not for himself, but it made him so happy because their spiritual life, they were growing in their life. And he said, there's a relationship going on between them and God because they're finally loosening the grip. I was at a Promise Keepers meeting one time. Jack Hayford, uh, uh, who I think wrote the song, How Can I Say Thanks? He had us all hold out our hands like this. Every man here, hold out your hands like this. He said, this is the approach to your possessions, to, to your stuff. What you think is your possessions and think is your stuff. You hold out your hands, God puts it in. Keep your hands open, God takes it out to give to somebody else. Uh, you are just an agent and a conduit of God giving things. Somebody says, oh, I don't want to die, because if I die, who will take care of my family? And the answer is the same one who's been taking care of your family all along, currently using you to be the vessel to take care if you're the, the breadwinner in your family. But God's the one. He said, I am excited about this because of the fruit that increases to your credit. A guy named Sinclair Ferguson, who I 
I'm starting to like a lot more than I even did. Scottish uh, pastor uh, tied this passage to two others in explaining this fruit that increases to your credit. And then the part about, uh, in verse 18, uh, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And he talks about how when Noah and his family got off the ark, they'd been saved and delivered from the flood. And they got off the ark and they offered sacrifices to God in gratitude. Not to save themselves, not retroactive to save themselves, but because God had saved them. And, and he, God d- describes uh, that in, in Genesis chapter um, 8. Uh, it says, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Same language of God smelling that sacrifice and that giving. Also tying in with Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God saw the sacrifice that Jesus made and it's described in biblical language as a fragrant offering. It pleased God. In the same way he says in this text in Philippians, your tithes and offerings, your gifts, God smells them and they smell good. And God is so pleased. It's like uh, Paul, Paul being happy because the Philippians who he loved were sacrificially giving to the God who he also loved. And God was pleased with the gift and the gift givers. And I asked, could it be like a parent who loves their child and who loves their, their own parents? And they watch as grandparents interact with grandkids. And when it's a healthy relationship, it's a beautiful thing. And this parent is watching this and saying, I get so much joy out of this. I'm not competing for affection from my parents or my kids. I'm just watching this happen. When it happens, we know it's beautiful when it's, when it's done in, a, in that good way. And this is sort of like Paul. His relationship with God wasn't threatened. He just loved the people so much. He loved God so much. And he loved it when the people were giving and God was interacting with the people in that way. The other benefit to the giver is that they get to see firsthand how God provides. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply every need. The benefit to the giver is that they get to see firsthand how God provides. You can obey God with your tithes and offerings. And man, sometimes it hurts. I was looking at, what do they call it? The, the, the life expectancy, that's an actuarial table. I wasn't looking at that one. <laughs> Amortization schedule and looking and seeing. And I was like, okay, if I can give this much this month and this much this month, pretty soon I can get my house paid off in this many years and maybe if my health. And you do all that and you go, man, <laughs> the easiest, best way to do that is to just kind of ease up on my tithe. That's the way to do that. I don't know. If God wants your house, he'll get your house anyway. If God wants to pay off your house, he'll pay off your house anyway. And I think the best thing to do is to not let the devil come in and try and play tricks like that in your brain. Uh, Bring your tithes to the storehouse and see what God does. There's a benefit 
if they see God as the provider? Is it similar to God providing the ram in the thicket in place of Isaac? Where are we going to get? I see the wood. I see the sacrifice. Where are we going to get? God will provide the lamb. God's the provider in all things. God is not up in heaven when someone tithes saying, man, I wish they hadn't taken me literally on that. Now how am I going to help them make that extra mortgage payment? Guess I'll think of something. Boy, I didn't mean that. Don't, don't take it so literally. No, God's up in heaven saying, that tithe smells good. That's a pleasing aroma to me. That sacrifice that my people are making for his business. Don't we do the same thing when we talk of prayers? Don't we do the same thing? God uses our prayers. Uh, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and just felt prompted to pray for somebody? I, I, I know you have. You say, I don't even know why. And you're praying for somebody, and then you write them the next day, and you say, what's going on? I just felt this urge to pray for you. And the answer is, thank you. I, I felt those prayers. I can, I can do that. And you say, well, God ordains the means. God ordains uh, using the prayers. And God fulfills and keeps those prayers. Well, couldn't he have cut out the middleman and just taken care of that person without you being involved? Well, of course. Can God do what God wants to do for his kingdom without the middleman giving? Well, of course. But he says, no, I choose to use you in, in, in the process of my gospel going forth. God would have taken care of Paul. The benefit was to the givers. And Paul was excited about that for them. God who involves you in giving to his work via your finances given to his church is going to provide for you. And I would say one reason I'm so happy this morning to be able to tell you to tithe based on scripture is because I love you. And I love what happens when you step out in faith and obey God and see God work in your life then. Someone will come up to me in the near future and will say, we started doing this and it's amazing the spiritual growth in our lives as we change our perspective on stewardship and giving. And of course, I'll be delighted too. But there are other places. This is not the only place in Scripture that talks about giving. Uh, both Testaments, all parts talk about that. The Old Testament, families were supposed to give, and they selected the best lamb, the first fruits, all those things, and they came and gave. There's a giving to God that started out even in the Old Testament. There's a giving to God, uh, maybe the most famous passage about giving to God uh, would be in um, Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Listen to this. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be, uh, you'll be a 
land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And people say, why am I robbing God? Boy, if I love you, do, am I not going to say, don't rob God? <laughs> what do you mean robbing God? Your tithes, your offerings, that's biblical. New Testament, Jesus talked about giving. He sat and he observed the widow's offering and said she gave more than the others because he was looking at the percentage that she was giving. He said she gave out of her poverty. And of course, this section. Throughout scripture, we see about giving. So, I've made the case as good as I can in this context this morning. There's more and we could have a, a conversation about it. But how about some general practical applications for this text and topic? For one, it's God's to begin with. The old uh, C.S. Lewis illustration about uh, the, the, the kid that says, hey, Dad, can I have sixpence to buy you a present? And Dad reaches in his wallet and says, oh, here's, you know, here in America, here's a 20. And the kid goes and takes that $20, and he, he thinks and he picks and he buys the best gift for his dad. And he says, here, Dad, look what I bought you. And the dad says, I love that. But is the dad $20 richer? No, it's his to begin with. Um, principle is it's all God's. The giving itself does not buy you credit with God. It's not work salvation in the Bible. Uh, so we're not saying you give and God will love you any more than he does. No way. No way. You can't buy God's favor. You can't buy God's affection. We give more than just of our treasure. That's what was addressed in this passage and in others. But we know that giving to God is giving of our time and our talents along with that. Now I found these groups of questions that uh, Sinclair Ferguson gave written better uh, and, and more helpful to me. So in this general, listen to this. He says, in, he calls it question one, then he asks five questions or so. Question one, to ask ourselves in response to this giving. This is from his commentary called Let's Study Philippians. He says, am I really concerned for the welfare of the Lord's servants? If they have material needs, do I simply shrug my shoulders and say, they didn't need to become involved in poorly supported Christian service? But they did need to, didn't they? Otherwise, they would have been disobeying their Lord and yours. Am I really concerned about the needs of the church? Question two, do I regard my Christian stewardship, particularly, although not exclusively of money, as a partnership? Do I say when I give, I'm giving to help Anna's church reach out to the school that's coming in? Am I giving to help those folks from AA that come in here as we pray and, 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 and encourage them. Do I see it as a partnership or just, man, there's that asking for money again. Okay, I'll give it. Got me again. Or is it a partnership in God's work as the Philippians saw it? Question three. Do I really believe that God will supply what I need if I give sacrificially? Or do I always give in such a way that sacrifice will be avoided? Do I see that generous giving is not the same thing as sacrificial giving? Question four. Do I really want to live and give, pray and share with others in such a way that glory will be seen to come to our God and Father by the way as people love each other, by the way as people support each other's ministries, and by the way they depend on the Lord's provision so that it becomes clear that the power and glory are His and not ours? 
He's asking those general questions. Now, related to this local church, Christ the shepherd, particular practical application for us, or what happens when you give God's tithe to Christ the shepherd church. Now, the first thing I'd be thinking is, Christ the shepherd must be in some financial trouble right now, or they wouldn't be, why is this? What's going on? Why is this? That's what I would ask. And my answer is no. Not any more, any less than we've been all these years, and God's always supplied. Uh, every church is, is one, one uh, breath away from, from uh, just like every family's budget, one accident away from, from bankruptcy. Or they're one, so there's, there's no, no trouble, no, no need, no special offering. This is no shakedown. This is just here we are in the text and biblically. This is what you do, whatever church you're a member at. You give to the church. You tithe to the church where you're a member. And if you can't tithe there because you think they're not going to use the money for the gospel, then don't go there. Find a church you can tithe to and say this is the gospel. So that's one question. Um, what happens? What happens? I, I just, just one more thing on that. Mark and I were talking. There was a time... Back when, back in the early days, a few years ago, it was it was really tight. I think there's been another time, and we just came to the conclusion biblically. We encouraged each other in what we both knew. Boy, this church can't stay open one day longer than God wants it to, and it can't shut one day earlier than God wants it to. Our times are in God's hands, just like our lives and our families' lives are in God's hands. So, um, so that you give your money. People count the money. It goes to the bank, to the general fund. I don't know who gives what. I don't want to know who gives what. The only time I ever know is if somebody's really excited and God's blessed them and they say, man, Pastor, we gave this. And I get excited with them because they're, they're excited and I rejoice with them. But I don't say who's given, who's not giving. What's, it's none of my business. It's you and God. It's my business to tell you, tithe. It's not my business uh, to do the Holy Spirit's work and do the convicting. You bring the tithes to the storehouse. In the early church, they brought their gifts. They laid them at the apostles' feet. We don't accept designated gifts from members except our deacons' fund offering. Um, Somebody comes and they say, hey, you know what? I'd like Bill to get this money. I'll give it to you guys, and you give it to Bill, and then let me get the the tax write-off for that. Um, I can tell you one person, I can tell you four persons, but I know one person is going to say, that's money laundering, and <laughs> we don't money launder here. Uh, you don't give designated gifts. If somebody says, hey, these people are really in need, we just go to help them in need. Somebody in a church I was at once said, there, there's a family that would not accept gifts, but their medical needs were such they wanted to give. Can we give to them? We want to give it anonymously. We want to give it to the church, and the church gives said, you can give to the deacon's fund, but we cannot guarantee. I can't tell you this is going to that, but boy, thanks for pointing that out. We'll pray about it, and we'll see. And boy, if there's a need, we're going to help them. But you've got to give it that way. Otherwise, I can just give you an envelope if you want, and I can say it's from your secret admirer and leave it at that. But, um, but uh, you give, you give to the general fund. 
Pastor doesn't know, doesn't care, I don't see. Elders don't see who's giving and who's not giving. Only one who sees it is our bookkeeper. And what makes her such a great bookkeeper is she's a a value-free, judgment-free, and she keeps her mouth shut. And she doesn't gossip and talk. So that's good about uh, giving. So that's what happens. Um, Budget items are paid. You give to the church. Well, the pastor's salary, housing allowance, and insurance. You could say, well, that's for Pastor Dave. No, it's not for Pastor Dave. It's for the person who's currently the pastor. I'm not here forever, necessarily. Uh, You give to to supply the pastor's needs. The scripture says, don't muzzle the ox that treads the grain. So part of it goes to that. Part of it goes, and the elders are good at monitoring that. They make sure, uh, they make sure, I've had several elders in the past, uh, at various times, even in the recent past, say, how are you doing? Is everything okay? Financially, are you able to meet your needs? I love elders that will say that. But they watch it, and that's good. Um, the building is taken care of. The people and groups meet in this building, and God is glorified. I shared a couple with those at the start of the service. Heat and electricity are paid. Major repairs and maintenance. Ongoing maintenance. Now, the old phrase that Grandma used to say, a stitch in time saves nine. So, so you get ahead of the game, and, and you don't have to pay so much later on. Um, those things are taken care of. We support missionaries. And so that's what happens uh, when you bring that tithe to the storehouse. Give you an opportunity to give over and above your tithe via the deacon's fund. So we get to that last point. And I hope, and I hope, I hope this has been, been made abundantly clear. I prayed, God, don't let me make a bunch of jokes and hee-haw around about this thing. This is, this is real because it's people's spiritual lives at stake. They need to hear, this is how you obey God with your tithe to the storehouse. Now, get to this last point on your, your, uh, your spiritual credit score. See these commercials on TV? Um, I like this one called Credit Karma, but there's others now. You can go on Credit Karma, and what do they have? TransUnion, they have your experience, they give you points. Some of us... Uh, think that if you just, you know, and all this stuff, I'm not, I'm not promoting any of this. I'm using this as a, as a build-up for an illustration. But you look, and in some of these, let's see, um, the FICO score, the lowest is 300, the highest is 850. So let's, let's apply that to your spiritual credit score. And here's what I'm saying. The good news is this. Your spiritual credit score is absolutely, totally not related in any bit to how much money you give, or to how good you are, or to any of that. Your spiritual credit score with God is based on Jesus Christ and his righteousness. The good news is, you can go on these, these credit score things, whether it's credit karma or whatever, and you can see, my score went up or down based on this, here are the factors. Uh, you don't have to do that with your relationship with God. Uh, you've either got one score or the other. Let's, let's say in God's credit For example, the perfect score is 1,000. The worst score is zero. Everybody in here either has 1,000 or a zero, and that's based on your relationship with Christ. So your spiritual credit score has nothing to do with these things. These things have something to do with your spiritual credit score. Um, Somebody wrote an article, is it even possible to get a perfect score? In In the financial world, maybe it's not. 
But you know what? You get a perfect score in the spiritual world as you repent, put your faith in Jesus, and let Jesus be the one who paid for all of your sins. So if you're a Christian, you don't need to keep checking, what's my status with God? What's my status with God? Did I go up with God or down with God? God looks at you. God loves you. And God's score is, she's one of mine. I've saved her. She's confessed. He's my son. Perfect score. Because Jesus was perfect and died on the cross for us. And that's what we do as we go to the table. Um, Some of us are, are maybe thinking about are things. Well, keep thinking, keep praying, keep doing. Say, what does the Bible say? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to do it. And God's going to give me the grace and strength to do it. But you know what? Even when we mess up like we all have and do in every area of our lives, because Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we have a right to this table because we are in God's family because Jesus, the perfect one, did everything right, and he suffered for those of us who do everything wrong, it seems like. You might feel like this, but Charlie Brown's talking to Lucy. He says, I am such a screw-up. I just, I just feel like I look at my life, and I am such a mess-up. I'm wishy-washy. I'm all that. And Lucy says, well, Charlie, everybody feels that. He says, Everybody feels that, I, that, that they're a messy and a screw-up. She goes, no, everybody feels that you're a mess-up and a screw-up. Um, <laughs> uh, sometimes we feel like not only do we know that about ourselves, we think everybody else thinks about it ourselves. Well, we come to the cross and we say, I humble myself, God, and I confess my sins and I place my sins on Jesus and I trust in Jesus Christ to be the one. And your spiritual credit score is absolutely 1,000, the best it can possibly be because your faith is in Jesus. So let's pray. Let's ask God to help us take things to heart as needed. But let's rejoice that we are Christians. Lord, thank you so much for this section of Philippians. Thank you for what the Bible says about how we live after we become Christians. But thank you, Lord, for the backdrop of Scripture that tells that we are saved based on Jesus blood and righteousness, and we thank you for the salvation that is ours.